You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The State of Recruiting is brought to you by 24-7 Sports and the Horns 24-7 Network of Podcasts. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on the podcast platform of your choice. We also invite you to listen to the other great shows on the Horns 24-7 network, including The Flagship with Taylor Estes and Chip Brown and The Longhorn Blitz with Jeff Howe and Rod Babers. Thanks for listening. Now on to the show. Back to this week's episode of the State of Recruiting, your weekly Horns twenty four seven recruiting podcast. I'm Mike Roach, and I'm joined as always by Hudson Standish, uh, and we are coming to you this week uh, a little audio only podcast for our YouTube viewers. We uh, we couldn't make it work. Too many moving parts. Um, we had to record early in the week. Taylor's traveling. I'm leaving early, later this week. So uh, w- this is a good old fashioned audio only podcast for you guys. Uh, but we'll still get to all the good stuff before we jump into all those things. Hudson, it's been a couple of weeks uh, since we've done one of these. How, uh, how excited are you to get back into it? Yeah, I'm genuinely excited. I, I'm Mike knows this, but the state of recruiting is one of my favorite things that we do. I love podcasting. Uh, both Mike and I initially bonded over all the various uh, podcasts that we listen to, and um, yeah, I'm I'm just pumped to be back. It was um, a little longer than we anticipated, but there was just a lot of stuff that we kind of couldn't help why we weren't able to record. Yeah, a lot of like I traveled for coaching school at one point. Um, there was, I mean, we were just, I've been kind of all over the place uh, with a lot of stuff. So uh, glad to be back. And we're coming back to you because um, we've got, and if you've downloaded this on, on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, um, you're probably noticing that this is coming out a day earlier than it usually does, coming out Thursday morning. And the reason for that is, Texas is hosting a big recruiting event today, Thursday, as you're listening to this. So we wanted to get it out before then and uh, and and make it prescient at that point. So um, before we get into that recruiting event, there have been a couple of commitments since we last talked to you. Um, I'm trying to think of when we did our last show. Are we just down to two? Is it just Peyton Kirkland and Malik? Yeah, Muhammad? it's just, yep, it's those two. All right, so we'll get into those for just a, just a second. Malik Muhammad uh, out of South Oak Cliff in Dallas a four-star cornerback is a guy that like John T. Cook and maybe because he's close friends with John T. Cook I've known since his freshman year I, I remember seeing Malik playing with team grind uh, in Dallas on the seven on seven scene um, and really liked his build he was kind of long lanky I covered covered his uh, I'm trying to put the, the Muhammad family tree uh, together in my head either his brother or his cousin Jabbar Muhammad uh, I covered at DeSoto when I was really early in the game. One of my favorite recruits went on to Oklahoma State. Um, and 
I think from a need perspective, this is one Texas had to have. They had to have some big-time guys at the cornerback position. We've talked a lot about, like, establishing your floor. Well, I think that they really kind of almost established a ceiling, um, or at least they brought in the high ceilings first at the cornerback position. And now, you know, you can chase the other high ceiling guys, and if you have to go back, you can go back and find a higher floor guy if you miss on those, on, you know, the Jordan Matthews and JV and Taviano's of the world. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. And I think, too, when we were setting the stage um, in the spring, it was a lot of, look, if they can split one of Malik Muhammad or JV and Toviano, it's just going to be fantastic for this Texas class because, you know, since the spring, we've kind of penciled in Jordan Matthews as somebody that's kind of been trending Texas's way. Now you have three defensive back commits in the class with the potential of maybe even adding Matthews before the season starts. And then, you know, going into the season, you're not having to put as much emphasis uh, as they did last cycle on really having to nail a lot of those guys. They can just really target a Javian Toviano or a Dalton Brooks or whoever is still on the board um, and during the season. So you're not having to cast as wide of a net during uh, the time where the coaching staff really just wants to focus on, you know, game prep for the actual football season. Yeah, and to be honest with you, when you said that back in the spring, I was like, well, it better be Taviano because they're not getting Malik Muhammad. And that was based on several conversations I'd had with Malik himself and uh, people around him. And it was just Texas was kind of so far out of it. I, I'll i tell you this much. I mean, it, it felt like back in the spring before he made his commitment, Javon Thomas was probably a much better chance uh, for Texas to land the Malik Muhammad. And as we kind of learned, Texas didn't have much of a chance with Javon. So that's how far it was. I think the work they did in that time period, getting him back on campus in the spring, getting him back for an official and just kind of turning it on and, uh, you know, really showing him what he wanted to see is pretty impressive for the cycle. Absolutely. And you see it a lot with uh, recruits, Mike, and obviously you know this a lot better than I do, but before that spring heading into the uh, senior season, it, it almost makes more sense to kind of disregard a lot of what they say, because there's just been so many examples, both this cycle and the previous of guys who forever were discounting schools or, you know, well, he's not going to end up there because X, Y, Z. Sometimes the, it's just natural that some teams just kind of come on stronger late. And I know a lot of uh, Alabama and AM fans are kind of, were kind of stunned with Texas getting those predictions um, when we put them in and when the entire industry was kind of figuring out that, okay, Malik Muhammad is trending to Texas. But, I mean, that just kind of naturally happens. And also, I mean, Mike, you know this uh, better than most, but you know, the family just kind of naturally profiles Texas. I know the mom really liked uh, UT and uh, Manny has a relative that's uh, going to be on the Texas women's basketball team as well. And a relative in the recruiting class. His cousin is Billy Walton, yeah. his teammate at South Oak Cliff. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's all, it all kind of comes together. Uh, I, I think, you know, the fit fit wise, he's the type of guy you look for a corner. He's long, he's lanky, he's athletic, he's got you know, quick feet, move in space, moves laterally well, really good technique. I think he plays with great technique. Um, I, I would love to see him just go, you know, as we as we look towards his next uh next step is get a little more physical, probably put a little more weight on those types of things. But you know, as far as a prospect, he, he's what you want. 
And Mike, too, you know this. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think you might have been the one, actually, when I first watched South Oak Cliff that were like, hey, don't sleep on Manny as a wide receiver. And throughout South Oak Cliff's state title run, he was making a ton of plays as a situational wide receiver. And then we watched him uh, at the Under Armour camp in March take legit reps and win against some of the top corners in the state. So, you know, we love that uh, ability to play both ways because it really does translate at the next level. And especially when you're looking at guys that go high in the draft. So I think that's something too, that's kind of exciting is that like, yeah, Malik does have the specs to be a highly regarded uh, cornerback, but the ball skills and the, you know, body control, like he's, (laughs) you know, he's not, going to um he's not going to have a lot of the problems that i think texas fans have been frustrated where you know teams will just throw up 50 50 balls and it's like well we're we're either getting a defensive pass interference or somebody's gonna moss one of our dbs yeah and i think um as we look forward He's one that I'm going to say the, the results of the season matter for everybody. I mean, they're, they're going to matter for this class, but he's one he's that he's one that like they've got to they're going to have to win. They're going to have to produce because Alabama is not going to stop coming after him. Texas A&M is not going to stop coming after him. And he is one that I would say even talking to people near him would say, hey, I it wouldn't surprise me if he's entertaining some other schools down the stretch. So I, th- I do think this is one. Texas is going to have to sit on there and have to keep recruiting him kind of through the whistle and then, um, you know, really uh, show those results on the field. I'm really happy you brought that up because it is the truth. I like we've mentioned this before on a podcast, I want to say, but like Alabama has him really high up their corner board. And I know that Nick Saban does not like losing out on those guys that he circles at the cornerback position, uh, you know, so it's going to be interesting and it's almost a perfect segue into the next uh, commitment in Peyton Kirkland. Yeah. Uh, old PK. Um, I I've said this in a few different spots, easily like one of the more weird moments of my career. And um, we've talked at length kind of about how things played out and, you know, uh, the way we handled our reporting versus the way anybody else handled theirs and all those sorts of things. But that's an, I could just remember. And I only bring this up because there are people who, who will say, well, no, you just were reacting to him acting this way. Hudson, how long were we sitting on that? uh, That day we were on that PK information for hours. Like I got, how early in the morning did I call you and say, Hey, just, this is guess what I just heard. And then I, I think I reported it four or five hours after that. Yeah, it was it was hours. I want to say it was like five-ish hours. Um, and, and the only reason it, I bring it up though is I just I will never forget your like I I was calling you and I was like I wonder how Hudson's going to react to this and your reaction did not let me down. It was it was kind of hilarious. Uh, you were you were as bewildered as I was. Yeah, I mean there was part of me that was wondering if we were still in a dream. I just remember laughing and being like. Oh boy, Kyle, you, you felt flood. You did it again. Like goodness gracious. Um, yeah. Cause too, like, you know, he does his commitment on uh 24 sevens YouTube page too. So like, you know, it, like there are a lot of factors into this, so we can't just, we can't just blindly, you know, report it. So we were kind of waiting on um, a couple of different things and, uh, 
you know, then you got into contact with Peyton, which I thought was funny as well, just of how it all played out. It was, it's going to be Mount Rushmore for me more than likely. And as far as recruitments we cover, it was that bizarre, but you know, I don't know how much more you want to talk about the rest of it, but at the end of the day, how flood gets another, um, gets another massive body uh, that can stick at tackle. I mean, I was actually kind of impressed with what I saw from Peyton Kirkland uh, on video from the camp circuit. I didn't get to see all of his camps, obviously, because he's from Orlando, Florida, but also on tape. And I watched a full game and there's a lot to like there. Yeah. Before we move on, somebody asked me in our chat the other day over on Orange 24 seven Lake, which is a weirder recruitment you've covered the PK one or the brew McCoy one. And like, I think the Brew McCoy one, just because of how high profile it was, and the I like my favorite part of it was like we chased Brew McCoy for a week at the All American Bowl, trying to figure out if he had signed with USC or not, and then literally standing there, Gabriel Floyd is telling us he's going to enroll at USC. If Kingsbury doesn't stay, he's going to go into the portal. If he goes into the portal, he will come to Texas. And turning to EJ, who worked with me at the time, and being like, you know, if we go report this, everybody's going to call us insane. And I mean, it played out exactly the way, you know, Gabriel Floyd told us it would weeks before it happened. Uh, but I think as high profile as it was, that probably takes the cake for me. But this was like, I got woke up with, hey, Peyton Kirkland is committing to Texas. And um, even I, I, I mentioned that there were people I called at Texas to verify this, that I was kind of breaking the news to them. Um, it, uh, so I think it took everybody by surprise, uh, except for Kyle Flood, who had already spoken to, to Kirkland before he had kind of made that decision. So, um, you know, I, I, I think uh, the frame is massive. You know, this is a guy that, um, some big schools were in on, you know, he's got over, I think over 60 offers or something like that. It's something crazy. It's something crazy. And there were a bunch of blue bloods that were kind of in that final grouping that were still pursuing him late, even though obviously, you know, there. It, here, here's a quick tangent, Mike. Genuinely, have you, have we ever been at a worse spot for actually we weren't pushing from schools, whoever, like it feels like, and this isn't just Peyton Kirkland specific, but it feels like almost every loss there are schools being like, ah, we weren't pushing. It's, it's fine. It's like, do you mean the uh, schools or the, the a, a combination of both schools, fans? Yeah. Media, like it just feels like it's at an all time high. Like you're probably right. Like, yeah. You're probably right. I, I it's, it seems to be the default answer anytime you don't land anybody so much so that I love going on our board and being like, no, Texas was pushing. They just lost. Like people need that reality check that sometimes you lose recruitments. It happens. Um, you know, like Hunter Osborne's going to commit here soon. We don't expect it to be Texas where we are going to very much remind you that Texas very much wanted Hunter Osborne uh, in yep. the last couple months. So um, anywho, as a player, is there anything – I guess so this is my question because I haven't got to watch him on, on full game yet like I wanted to. Do you think he is – he's probably a tackle body, it, it looks like, frame-wise. Is he a left tackle body? For flood, I could see it. You know what I mean? Like verified, truly six five and a half at that 340 range right now. And 
Mike, his foot speed is so much better than I was anticipating. So yeah, for flood, I could absolutely see it. I think that at the NFL level, they'd move him to right tackle, but you know, like there's a chance that Texas runs out Hayden Connor this year uh, at left tackle who, you know, as a high schooler, I didn't think had that great of foot speed, but he's really developed into a great prospect. And I think, and I think Hayden Connor was probably the best lineman uh, talking to sources and just, watching spring game too uh, for Texas this spring. So yeah, I think for flood, he could be a left tackle. Um, even though ideally I would love to grow Trevor Gooseby into that left tackle spot. Yeah. I think, I mean, obviously if you could get a combo of those guys working out and put them at right and left, it does it really matter? But if you're talking about, okay, what does the left tackle pipeline look like at Texas in two years of flood? It's been a, a wandering desert of, just hopelessness for the last decade. And under flood, now you've added Kelvin Banks, a legitimate elite five-star guy. You've added, you know, maybe does can can Neto Amayazulu play that left side if he had to? Yeah, I absolutely think so. Could Cam Williams, if his body continues to develop, could he play that left side? You know, you're getting some interesting bodies in there. And then in this class, Gooseby, a very high ceiling developmental prospect with a ton of intriguing athletic tools. And then Kirkland, who's a little more finished product. um, You know, it's been a a really strong job by flood putting this uh, group together. You know what I love about it too, Mike, it's obviously we kind of know that we both share similar thoughts on Jaden Chapman, just out there, like interior offensive lineman probably could, I think play right tackle, but is, still in my opinion the best offensive lineman of this group had legit superstar blue blood schools recruiting him but what i love is that this makes sure that connor stroh and andre kojo are just going to be able to be you know massive six foot six plus 300 and whatever plus pound uh interior offensive linemen that are going to just wreck havoc on it wreck havoc on inside zone like they're not going to have to worry about playing tackle more than likely if Kirkland stays in the class and, you know, Gooseby develops on time, which I think for their development is just fantastic. Yeah. And I think somebody mentioned the other day, like, Oh, well, they need to take more guards. They're taking all tackles. I don't think no. they really, I mean, you kind of nailed it. I think they're, they're interior heavy right now when you're talking about now, again, can, Andre Kojo play right tackle in a pinch, probably. Can Jaden Chapman play tackle in a pinch, probably. But when you want to optimally get these guys to the level where they're really making a big difference and they're playing at their preferred spot, I think they are. They were short on tackle. So adding Kirkland rounds out this class really nicely. Um, Peyton Kirkland, by the way, will be uh, is expected to be at this uh, week's barbecue pool party, whatever we're going to call it. Um, in Austin, and that, my friends, is what we call a segue. But first, we're going to send it to a quick commercial break. You're going to hear for a little bit of our sponsors, and we'll be back to talk about the Texas Elite Bash. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, so Hudson, it, this is going to be a big first for you, um, for me, for 124-7 readers, listeners everywhere. I think this is the first major recruiting event since I've been here that I will not be there to cover. Um, I am going to be in uh, in Missouri helping my mother-in-law move um, and uh, just scheduling it worked out that way. And so Hudson's going to kind of have it. We'll, we'll have some people there to help him. Um, but it feels really weird for me not personally planning because I don't think I've missed a, a big event like this. Um, do, do you want to respond to that before I move past the personal stuff and into the week? Yeah, Mike caught me laughing on the Zoom, and it's just because we're recording on Tuesday night, there is that, and we listen to a podcast where when they pre-record episodes, they have to do this a lot, but too, I'm just like, oh God, I hope nothing horrible happens in the next, you know, 36 to 48 hours before I actually make the trip, uh, but no, I'm I'm excited, it'll be fun, and I'll have help there. If I was doing it, uh, if I was doing it solo, I think I'd be a little bit more freaked out, just because there's going to be so much talent on campus, and we've done these events together um a couple times and you know there's a lot of ground to cover there are a lot of guys that you want to talk to and have genuine conversations to not just you know stick a microphone in their face and be like tell me how much you love texas or whatever yeah i mean it's uh it should be fun it looks like a pretty good roster we're still putting it together uh well as of this recording hopefully by the time you guys listen to this the the list is up and and together over at horns 24 7 what are some of the names that we've reported though by this point that really stand out to you um obviously you know the board is kind of narrow it is yeah it's very focused so it's it's kind of nice too man like we're in July and I'm like I'm only really keeping track of like 10 kids yeah they have 20 commits it's insane And so it's kind of nice. I can't remember it ever really being like this during my career where it's like, okay, now they, it's like JV and Taviano or Jordan Matthews are both at corner. It's uh, Anthony Hill and Darian Gallet at linebacker. It's, uh, you know, a couple defensive line guys, uh, you know, a couple of maybe uh, uh, Jalen Hale at receiver, Cedric Baxter at running back. And that's it. Like, I don't have to keep track of a million different guys. It is actually going to change. Well, you and I talked about this the other day. It's going to change the way we cover the football season because usually every week is like, let's go see this uncommitted guy. I'll, I'll, I'll wait to see the committed guys. And now it's like, you know, what do we do? 
Yeah, I mean, there's a real chance they might be with like 24, 25 commits and uh, at the end of September, which is just kind of crazy to think about. Um, here's one name. I don't know if you've reported it yet, so hopefully uh, I'm not. I get, oh yeah, we're not. This is coming out Thursday. We're yeah, good. Exactly. Col- we can do what we can do whatever we want in these next forty eight hours. We can, you know, what we say <laughs> now doesn't matter. Yeah, uh, the problems for future Hudson, future Mike. Exactly. Uh, Colton Vosick. That, that's yeah. my answer. That's Actually, like I did post that on the board today. Okay, um, you did. Yeah, I believe it was reported by another side as well, and I just kind of said, "Yeah, we're hearing the same." Actually, so Vosick, we do believe from a source will be in. We have heard that Texas is also working on getting Braylon Shelby there. They're just not as confident they're going to be able to do it. Yeah, I I would be kind of surprised if Braylon ended up making it. We're supposed to talk sometime in the near future. So, again, ideally either later tonight or tomorrow, I'll get in contact with them and then you know make a board post or whatever, depending on that one. But, yeah, it's fun with the narrowed focus, too, because – you know, like guys like Braylon Shelby and Colton Vosick really get their moment in the spotlight for Texas fans. Like those recruitments were some that throughout the past 12 months, I mean, you know this, Mike, like I've been beating on the drum as loudly as possible of like, Hey, these guys are studs. And now because you have so many uh, guys in the boat, you know, they, they kind of truly do get their moment to shine, which is cool. And, you know, both of them deserve it a ton. Yeah, I would also say I think um, I think Jordan Matthews is a guy that we've talked about a lot, but do people really understand what kind of athlete Jordan Matthews is at corner? Um, I kind of wrote something about this, or I, I was I was kind of working up something about this of. Texas early eval Jordan Matthews went all in on. I mean, from the beginning, they have been all in on Jordan Matthews while schools like Alabama waited, while LSU and his hometown legacy waited, waited, waited. All these programs kind of waited or backed off or whatever. And now this kid comes out, runs like five or six sub 10 sevens in the spring, uh, runs a bunch of sub 21s, goes to state in like four events in track. Has an NFL like frame when you when you talk about the corner position, length, height, all that, all those sorts of things, and then all of a sudden, Clemson, Alabama, LSU, everybody's trying to get in, and Texas, usually on the back, you know, at least under Herman, on the losing end of this thing, is going to, I think, I mean, I we've had crystal balls in for a while. I think they're going to benefit from, hey, we, you know, they've just been recruiting me longest and hardest. Yeah. <laughs> Again, if you told me in February, March that, yo, they might get Jordan Matthews and they will get Derek Williams, that would have been, I mean, just beyond wildest dreams. And obviously we're living in the post Arch Manning commits to Texas, um, you know, realm where all of this is kind of possible. But I mean, shoot, I kind of think that regardless of what happened with Arch, they looked they looked good and were probably in the pole position for Jordan Matthews. Mike, you're absolutely right that I kind of don't realize that uh, I don't know if fans realize how truly special he is as a player. Like, I, I don't know. I, I kind of view him in that same tier as I viewed Braylon Shelby and still do where if he ends up being a first or second rounder in the next four to five years, I'm not going to be shocked. His 
athletic profile is fantastic. But Mike, also, we loved him before we kind of knew that that was his athletic profile. We watched the tape and were really excited about Texas potentially being the leader for him. And then he goes out there and just absolutely crushes it on the track. So that just kind of backs it up. I mean, this might be one of the better, uh, you know, defensive back groups since that, uh, you know, BJ Foster, Caden Stearns, DeMarvian Overshone group that obviously has, I think, <laughs> gets deemed as a failure a little bit too much. Obviously, there were some developmental problems that really didn't help those players. But, you know, I, I don't know. It's just a really exciting potential class at DB for Texas. Yeah, and and you know you throw in maybe with with Taviano and Malik Murphy already. I'm sorry, Malik Muhammad. I am cursed to refer to Malik Muhammad as Malik Murphy and Malik Murphy as Malik Muhammad for the rest of my life. I just the Malik and the MM just throw me off. I've done it many times. I did it in print last week, so uh, it is just a mental block I cannot get past. I have something for you too. Do you think, like, legitimately, do you think there's a chance, because I kind of do just on the athletic profile and what we know about his tape, that Jordan Matthews could be could up as, like, top 75, 100-player? I, you know, I honestly thought we would maybe see a little movement from him in this latest ranking cycle, and we didn't see as much as I thought. Um, but I do. I mean, when you look at the guys that we traditionally have ranked in those areas, he kind of checks all those boxes. He's a, in the words of our Cooper Patagna, he's a box checker. Um, and so I think, yeah, I mean, I could, I could certainly see him ending up in the, in that area. Um, so there's, there's a, a legit chance then, I guess where I'm going with this of, you know, you have Malik Muhammad and Derek Williams who will more than likely finish as top, you know, consensus top 50 players. Derek Williams has his, uh, um, composite five-star again, and Malik is going to kind of hover in that range. Then if you get Jordan Matthews, and then obviously if Texas gets one of the biggest remaining targets on the board in Javian Toviano, like that's a legit, very special group, not even mentioning uh, Jamel Johnson, who obviously as a safety kind of kicked things off back in the fall is uh, the first, I believe, in the 23 class. He was, yeah, he was. So, yeah, I mean, really, really... And man, if you combine that, like kind of with what they did last year at the defensive back position and recruiting and getting guys like Terrence Brooks, again, like flood, we're talking about influxing a lot of talent um, in, in a two year period uh, to a position that needs it. I mean, corner, we don't talk about corner being a need a ton, but it is, it's always a need in, in any, any sure. program. Um, but especially at Texas, I think there's a lot of questions to be answered once some of these older guys uh, move on. Uh, Darian Gallette is another name. And I think, look, I think if we're looking at two guys coming in this weekend that we feel Texas has a, a really sh good shot at getting and maybe even potentially closing this weekend, I mean, I would say it's probably Jordan Matthews and Darian Gallette. Yeah, I'm with you, Mike. Darian Gallette is so good. And it truly, and this happens all the time where kids get injured. Um, and aren't able to play their senior years, but that, that's been one of the more gutting ones recently because I was so excited to watch him play after the off season that he had on the basketball court, the track and in the camp setting as well. Like, man, I was really excited to see him play. And, you know, I, I don't have the full details of the injury, but it sure seems like he's not going to uh, play his senior year at Marlin. Yeah. It doesn't sound like it at all. Um, on the offensive side, 
Uh, I think you'll see less of those targets just because there are less of them. Um, make it to campus. You know, we talked to people and we said, hey, who do you think is going to be there early on? And was told by somebody, oh, I think Cedric Baxter could be there. I think Deuce Robinson could be there. Look, we've reached out to both those guys. Cedric Baxter gave me just a flat denial uh, that he will be there. Deuce Robinson hasn't gotten back to anybody that's that's reached out to him for comment. Maybe they show up. Maybe they're surprise guests. Uh, but I would probably lean more towards not. And then Jalen Hale, who I think is kind of the the pick to round out this receiver group, um, is is another guy that uh, is going elsewhere that week. And so a lot more targets in 23 coming in on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. Also, Mike, how about the fact that there's probably just three spots left on offense when you look at it? Um, and, you know, Cedric Baxter has a scheduled commitment date for August 10th. Jalen yeah. Hale, we think, is going to decide in September. And then you have a luxury uh, tight end spot that you really are only having because Deuce Robinson is that good and is like a legit five-star. So, I mean, in theory, Texas can kind of wrap things up on offense um, like in the next month or two and only kind of elephant hunt with Deuce Robinson trying to upgrade the ceiling of the class. Again, I mentioned it in an article today, so it's just off the top on the top of my mind. But that's crazy considering how much was in flux during last year's season. Like there were so many uh, articles that I was writing that uh, you know of like, okay, who are some circle back guys? Who are some contingencies? And this year, I mean, it's just they kind of have the puzzle together basically as their. Um, heading into the season it's just really exciting to see what the staff can do with that extra time because you know you know this but not every school is going to be like texas there are going to be a lot of staffs that are having to recruit in addition to um doing your normal game planning and all that yeah absolutely uh, uh just from the underclassmen perspective a couple guys i want to touch on um all wide receivers or at least can play wide receiver i think like Three of our favorite guys are coming in this weekend. These are just uh, personal favorites of the show, but uh, guys that I think are obviously elite prospects are going to be elite prospects in the 24, 25 class. Um, Draylon Miller from Silsby, uh, Freddie DuBose from uh, Smithson Valley and Decorey Moore from Duncanville. Um, I think, you know, those three guys coming in, you're talking about it's a it's a ways, you know, and not not as far for the 24 guys as it is for Decorey and Moore before we really got to start worrying. But, man, three guys that as you look at it right now, you want to have them. Yeah, I mean, Draylon Miller was somebody that I ID'd pretty early because he absolutely victimized my uh, hometown Liberty Panthers and district play. And then I saw him playing basketball as well, and it was just unbelievably impressed. And all he's done over the offseason is just, you know, send his stock through the freaking roof. He picked up a Georgia offer this past um, week, but Texas was super early. He really likes Texas. Um I could definitely see this turning into one of those national slugfest recruitments, which is really exciting because, you know, with these Southeast Texas guys, like that's kind of my home area. So it's just, you know, he's kind of next up in that uh, region. So it's fun. He, um, he is joined obviously by uh, Freddie DuBose, who if you've followed me and Mike stuff, you know, that we're both pretty close with Freddie, who is a awesome character. Um, 
and will be making probably his like fourth or fifth trip back to Texas this weekend. And then you have DeCorian Moore, who I think we both are in agreement that he's probably the best player in the state of Texas for 25, if not right up there. Listen, I was at a camp with DeCorian the other day and Jonte Cook was there helping work the camp. And he walked over to me and he was just like, Mike, if DeCorian Moore is not the number one wide receiver in the country, in 2025, like you, you guys just need to fold up your business and quit. Basically, he said different things than that. Um, I, I'm not going to repeat the things he said uh, <laughs> on the podcast, but uh, yeah, I mean, he was just <laughs> like, even he was like, he just blows me away how good he is. Um, so yeah, a lot of special guys. We'll have full coverage in Hudson. I think you are planning maybe a talking Texas for Friday after the event to kind of wrap some stuff up. Yeah, ideally, I'd like to like record it almost almost do the exact same playbook as the arch manning car episode uh, that you did uh, as we were on the way to state seven on seven but for that event just because there's going to be so much to talk about um but you know we'll see Uh, logistics is always a little bit tough for the podcasting but um also one more thing too mike like jante as a desoto high schoolers saying that about a Duncanville, like, you know, that's, that's some big props. Like, yeah, absolutely. Well, this is the state of recruiting. And as you know, we usually talk about recruiting, but Hudson has been telling me for weeks, he's got the buzz. He's got the football itch. Um, it's just coming back. And maybe it's because I've been so many camps and things like this. I just feel like I never get out of football. And so sometimes like I get to the summer and I'm like, I don't really mind it. I'm, I'm good with the break. Today, I was driving home from somewhere and I had the ticket on and I was just listening and they were talking Cowboys training camp. And like the NFL is my third favorite league. I don't care for the Cowboys at all, but I just listening to them talk about Cowboys training camp, which was about to kick off, like it got me a little tingly. So Hudson, I've kind of got the itch with you now and, and I'm ready for uh, ready. I Please tell Hank Williams I'm ready for some football. Um, You have some things you want to talk about, so I'm going to hand you the ball and let you uh, take us home in the last half here. Mike, uh, people are going to think that I'm kind of bullshitting you, but in all seriousness, that makes me so happy to hear that you have the itch, too, for football. Because, you know, I, I... normally start to get into scheme mode and like, okay, I need to watch all of last year's games. I need to start prepping around 60 days. Um, So I think I peak earlier than most. So today, as we're recording 39 days out, when people are listening, it'll be 37. Like we're away. We are a week away from Texas opening up fall camp, which to me is just peak fever of like, man, what's this team going to look like? So the first thoughts I want to get on are heading. Oh, in- hold on. I do have to tell you, uh, at least in the last couple of years, the worst part of that has been like every year you feel like that. And you're like, I'm just so excited to see this team. I've talked myself into, they're going to be this or that. And then they go lose to Maryland or they, uh, you know, second week lose to Arkansas that way. And it's just how quickly that feeling of excitement goes away. It feels like the last couple of seasons, like halfway through, you're like, God, I'm just ready for the season to be over. <laughs> Which is why they have to be good this year, because I think it'll mentally break some Texas fans like if they just stink again, but also which is why it's kind of created this thing to me where you think you should peak the like week leading into a game, but I'm the opposite where seven days in, 
I start feeling that like, oh God, oh no, it's it, like, we're really this close to the season. And I think too, something that honestly might help is that nobody is expecting Texas to beat Alabama. And I think people would be shocked if they competed with them. So it's almost that, uh, that expectation shifting from like, okay, Arkansas is a winnable game, even though it's on the road and you know, it's a new staff. I think that having Alabama as the, you know, big time non-con game is almost going to help in that regards to where like, yeah, they, they, they probably will lose. But it's not going to be like expectation shattering, I don't think. Now, obviously, if Jeff Trailer walks into DKR and, you know, the UTSA Roadrunners beat Texas the following week, then we're back in the same cycle. And Rome is burning. Rome is burning. And I think then everybody turns into that, you know, despair like nihilistic version of themselves watching football, which isn't fun. Um, but yeah, no, I'm with you there. Uh, I, I definitely understand that part. There, I mean, Real talk, we were texting during the Kansas game last year and we're like, God, this is going to be miserable. Yeah, I mean, it's for us having to work a message board after that is that's why, like, (laughs) my wife has become a big Texas fan because she understands that, like, good things happening to them correlates to, like, me being in a good mood and not stressed and uh, worried. Of, like, that's the only thing. That's the only motivation she has for uh, for liking Texas is that um, she knows if they do well, I don't have a nightmare day on the message <laughs> board and a nightmare week and um, all those sorts of things. So uh, it, it really helps. What um, What are you excited to talk about with this team? One last thing too. I don't need, I will say this about the Kansas game. I wasn't looking forward to like being on boards that day, but I also want to make it clear that I do not blame fans for literally any take because of how infuriating it was. Oh uh, no, not at all. For like, sure. Exactly. Like, and I think we're on the same page there. So. The, the, the takes. Yeah. I mean, there's guys look on our board who it's like, okay, dude, we get it. But like, you also don't have to start 20 threads about it. <laughs> you sure. also like, don't like just, if we, I wish we could like really get everybody to channel into this is going to be the venting thread. Say anything you want in here, you know, short of like a racial slur. And, uh, and we're, this will basically, uh, for, um, Hudson, I've asked you this a billion times. I don't think you have. You haven't watched The Wire, have you? No, I know I need to though. So, uh, apologies for any fans that are disappointed. Basically, I want to make a Hamsterdam thread. And what you'll learn is if you watch The Wire in season three, one of the police uh, higher ups decides like, what if we just legalize drug dealing in a zone where like the police don't go down there. We keep the dealers down there. We keep the addicts down there and none of the crime happens in the rest of the city. We just corner it off to this one area. And that's what I want to do after a Kansas loss is like, here's a thread. I'm not going to look at it, say whatever you want, get it out here. But like, I also don't need you to start 30 other threads and, and everything doesn't need to be, you know, fire this guy and fire that guy. Like those are the only, but look, if, sure. you're, if you're pissed about lost to Kansas, I totally get it. Absolutely. Yeah. I think we're on the same page, like almost just having like, listen, this is your purge thread. Like, you know, get all this. Like I, uh, yeah, I'm with you there. Um, maybe the execs would not be so happy about no. that. <laughs> no, I wish we had a way to make it like not visible on the board, but somehow you could get to it if you wanted to vent. I don't know how you do it, yeah. but yeah. Uh, that, we're, that would be we're in. <laughs> and I think I think too is we're just riffing on this uh, this idea. I think it would have a seventy two hour rule from the time yeah, the absolutely. game ends 
it's got an expiration and it either locks or just goes away at 72 hours. Absolutely not. You, you can't use that uh, hypothetical thread after they beat Kansas state and Rashawn Johnson puts on the Cape and be like, well, why didn't we do this against like, no, you can't or it'd be like, I told all you uh, chicken littles. It wasn't that bad. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Like a Snapchat rule. Like after a certain amount of time, everything gets deleted. No takes are held against you. That way also, if you're the panicker type and you're like, well, Steve Sarkeesian, blah, blah, he'll never. And then it's like, well, he got Arch Manning. How do you feel now? You don't have to have the receipts get pulled up on you. Yeah, absolutely. I like that rule. All right. Um, I'm I'm excited to talk QBs, honestly. I know that we have made our thoughts known, but I just want to talk QBs. Like, I'm excited about this. Like, I'm excited that Quinn Ewers is in the Texas quarterback room. And I think that Hudson Card is going to give him a legit competition. But again, as, as people who care about Texas high school football a ton, watching him his sophomore and junior years and his junior year when he was compromised. Like, it's just awesome that he's, he's actually here and we got to have a spring full of reports, including that, you know, scrimmage that I reported on that he absolutely lit it up. Like, it's just fun. Yeah. I, so a lot of people have asked me, and I'm not sure if this is where you want to go with the discussion or not, but a lot of people have asked me like gun to your head, who gets a starting job. And I really don't know. And I don't, think there's any you know it's not like sources are saying we've already decided it's this there will be a competition in camp but i just think the way a gun to my head sports gun to my head uh, sports gun sports gun to my head it's it's quinn ewers i mean it's talent from a talent perspective and i do think there is something to the fact that quinn appears to be one of the faces of this team when they're out and about doing something, he carries himself like the starting quarterback. Um, I think that that's just going to like, it's not going to matter more than the talent, but I do think the talent is so good. And I think he's kind of ready for the moment. It's not like a young quarterback where you have to question, is he ready? Is he not ready? The one thing, and I, again, I knew Quinn since he was an eighth grader, he never lacked for confidence. And so I think that if you, if you look at him from that perspective, that's that would be my guess. Now, I do think they're in a much better position, obviously, depth-wise. You know, if something were to happen to Quinn or if it wasn't as effective, I do like what Hudson Card could potentially bring off the bench. If he can kind of fix the issues he had uh, with the pocket presence and things like that and just getting the ball out a little quicker, I think he, he has all the talent in the world. And, uh, you know, obviously a really talented player in high school – I I think I feel like last year it quickly got into like, okay, game one didn't light it up, but like there were some really encouraging throws and plays, and you're like, okay, Hudson Card is the guy. And then game two, you're like, oh my God, he's like the wheels have fired <laughs> off, the wagon's over the cliff, it's burning, and then Casey, and then you got into that cycle where it's like, okay, Casey was really good at first, and then okay, when Casey struggles, what do we do? We go back to this guy, then he throws a pick six against Kansas, and you're just in a tailspin all the way down. And and I don't think they're in that same position this year. Yeah, I think the best what a source told me, and I think this is kind of the best way to frame it, is both quarterbacks are better than the room that we had last year. Hudson has improved, and from a talent level, like Quinn is just – I mean, he was the consensus, like, number one player. I don't think he finished that way because of the reclassification, but this was 
I mean, as credentialed of a prospect I've ever seen, Mike, is he the best you've ever seen? Like, like yeah, he's so when people ask me the question about Arch Manning is, Ooh, he, this is a great way to put it. Do you really think he's the number one quarterback? Um, yeah, I think he is definitely in the discussion. I think you could make a compelling case for him. But when I watch quarterbacks I saw in high school, is he Quinn Ewers? No. Is anybody Quinn Ewers? No. I mean, I haven't seen a quarterback with more natural arm talent. Like I said, I noticed it when he was in eighth grade. Like I saw him throw. He was about six one, And I just, I just turned to somebody next to me and said, that kid's the number one quarterback in the country. I don't need to see any of the other ones for his age group. Like that, the net, you just don't see that kind of natural arm talent. By the way, he did finish in the reclassification as number one overall. And he okay. a perfect, uh, you know, like 1,100, whatever. That's right. That's right. That's, yeah. I, you know, it was just one of those things where I didn't want to talk out of my ass and then, you know, have some nerd at me and be like, well, actually, uh, you know, um, but I think, I think only that, Jadavian Clowney in our ratings has been ranked higher than Quinn. He is. There, there was the thing too of the perfect QBs with like Vince was also a yeah. one point zero zero. He's also the you know we do the all time commits thing on twenty four seven so you can see a school's yeah. all time commits. He's number one in Ohio State history, a school <laughs> that has recruited at a ridiculous level. Uh, for years and years and years, he's number one. <laughs> and you know this, but I did radio in Columbus, which was a kind of random hit, but those guys were awesome. Um, and they were talking to me about Quinn and they were just kind of like, yeah, it was almost like, it's like, uh, you know, he was in and out so quickly that we kind of didn't even get to know him. So like, what, what is he actually, which I found that perspective really funny of like the number one commit all time for your school was just like, yeah, I'm out after, you know, three months essentially or whatever it was. But um, I guess kind of back to the point, it, it's just really tough for me considering everything that we heard in the spring leading into the spring game of it's even, but Quinn might even be pulling away and we love what we saw in the scrimmages. Now that you've had months past that heading into fall camp because they're so even it's just tough for me not to think that he's going to win the job um and i think that he unlocks an element to the offense that you know mike is just really encouraging you you know this obviously because we've talked about it off air a ton but you have to play deeper against quinn ewers because he will uncork a 70 yard bomb in stride on you like you you can't give him anything which then of course opens up your intermediate throws you have a lot of digs and a lot of um a lot of you know intermediate stuff that's just kind of more available with you with him at qb uh also another thing for quinn that works in his favor is the fact that it's a loaded wide receiver room and you have the best running back in college football uh to kind of get you through those early moments because you haven't played football in a little bit. By the way, do you think that matters? I, that's kind of a consensus talking point that I've heard a lot of people go over is like, hey, well, he didn't play his uh, senior year of high school. No, because he was getting reps at Ohio State. Maybe he wasn't getting as many, but it's like, you know, you and I are soccer fans and we talk all the time about like, it's better for the U.S. guys to go play on a second division English team and get their training and practice than it is to play in the MLS. And I kind of think it's the same type of deal where it's, 
not that it would have been, it was better for him not to go to South Lake, but like, I don't think he lost much and he didn't, maybe there was a little shaking off a of rust in the spring, but he went through a full spring, you know, by this point, I think, you know, I, I don't think it's not like the speed of the game was so good at South Lake that it was, Oh, he had to have that to be able to adjust uh, to the next level. I mean, he's seen the speed of the game in practice now with two different teams. For sure. I'm glad we're on the same page there. And obviously I think that people know this, but just to reiterate, like ideally both of us would have liked to see him play at South Lake a senior year. Cause we love Texas high school football, but I almost think that people aren't taking into the fact that like, this isn't a guy that like, Oh, he only had his sophomore and junior seasons. No, but he was taking South Lake to the state uh, quarterfinals and the state finals in Texas. So you're getting, you know, almost 30 plus games in those two years. So he had enough experience as a high schooler and it benefited him to go to Ohio state and kind of get those freshman lumps of, Hey, it's not easy. The speed of the game is a lot quicker. Um, You're competing in practice every day against elite talent before he got to Texas. I'd almost be uh, not almost, I would be a lot more skeptical of him winning the job if he had uh, stayed on the kind of straight and narrow assembly line pathway and just played at South Lake and then was having to win the job from Hudson Card in his first year in college. Yeah. If that I, makes sense. I hope I, I articulate well. well, I mean, look, all respect to good friend of this program, Riley Dodge, but sitting in a quarterback room for a fall with Ryan Day and for a spring with Steve Sarkeesian is I mean, I think it, it kind of supersedes again, love Riley. I think he's probably one of the more innovative guys and, and quarterback, you know, tr- uh, teachers at the, at the high school level, but Absolutely. The Ryan, and I think Riley would tell you, yeah, go, uh, you know, I, it's probably better to spend a year uh, semester with Ryan day and a semester with Steve Sarkeesian. Um, you know, I think all those things, the other thing that that's like weird to me is when people are like, well, he must not be good because he didn't, play at Ohio state. And it's like, <laughs> yes, that is inferior. CJ Stroud. Yeah. He was a true freshman who, who reclassed got there at fall camp, got there. Or, like they weren't intending on him to be in the quarterback room played behind a Heisman trophy winner and probable number one overall pick in a year. And behind another very highly rated guy, people were like, well, I mean, he didn't throw for 4,000 yards as a freshman, so he must not be very good. That's the one that, that kind of gets I've, me. I've heard that, too. That is, oh, God. That Well, if he was as credentialed as he said. Like, and I think that comes from, and I'm, again, sorry for the ricochet, ricochet shot, but like that comes from the kind of uh, Stu Mandel um, thought line of like, well, five-star quarterbacks go and they play immediately. Like, no, they're like, What? Bryce Young set a year. Yeah. Uh, under yeah. under a pretty good QB coach. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it, that one's the funny part to me. My question is if God forbid something happens to Quinn or it doesn't work out, is Hudson Card, I, I do believe he will be. Is he engaged enough, you know, if he loses his quarterback battle in the fall to be able to come in and make an impact? You know, I kind of think so. There's part of me that almost wonders if not having the pressure of being the guy might even help Hudson in that situation. Does that track at all with you, Mike, of almost just being able to focus on the football elements if he did have to enter a game might just be 
better. And also, too, like, look at the Louisiana game against a team that ended up going 11 and one with Billy Napier as heck. Like, he can. When, when things are going well, he can absolutely orchestrate Steve Sarkeesian's offense as a, mm-hmm. at an efficient level. And I, I think, too, uh, considering that they have a big weapons upgrade at tight end and uh, wide receiver, it obviously will talk about the offensive line in a little bit. But I think there's a chance, too, the offensive line might even be improved. So it's I, I, I think he can do it. Let's talk offensive line now, because that is the, uh, I think, like, that's the but your favorite storyline going into fall camp. It might be mine. Uh, it's no, because it's the storyline every year. Is the offensive line going to be good? And for so but many just years, the freshmen, I guess I should have specified. Yeah, yeah, I am extremely interested in what the freshman group can do at an early age. But I still, I would, I would caution people to temper your expectations. I mean, it's. Um, you know, it takes a little bit to adjust. I do think some of those higher rated guys can play immediately and make a, make a big impact, but overall, like that's the thing, right? Like if you just picked up an average college, uh, an average to slightly above average college offensive line, drop them at Texas, you're talking about potentially the number one offense in the country, right? I mean, you've got yeah. an elite quarterback. You've got a, now an elite group of weapons at wide receiver. You've got some really interesting tight end targets. You've got the best running back in the country. And the only thing that can stop them is the five guys preventing the others from tackling. For sure. Um, also, I do want to just address this. And I know most fans don't feel this way, but I did see one comment that was like, if the offensive line isn't better, it's just clear that they need to get rid of that flood guy. No, he's stacking talent at such a good level. And I do think that the offensive line coaching and scheme is so much better than where it was. Even if it isn't at the needed level this year, I do believe in him long-term. So I just want to get that out of the way. I agree with you, Mike. And this genuinely might be a 39 days until football Kool-Aid brain talking, but I have a lot of faith in whoever it is. I don't expect it to be both, but I think it could be whoever takes the reins during fall camp out of Devon Campbell and Kelvin Banks. I think one of the two legit could just be that really good player from the jump because I don't know. We watched him so many times and the reports that we're getting from sources who aren't always on the uh, Kool-Aid side of the equation. Like there are a lot of people that are more reserved that just gush about both of those players. In addition, to Cole Hudson, who crushed it during the spring, ended up winning a starting job, obviously, just before the spring. Um, and then we we have mentioned a couple times on the podcast how impressed we've been with Cam Williams reshaping his body. Neto Amozolo is one of my favorite players in the 22 signing class. Like, there are so many different... By the way, and... Uh, feel free to question the validity of the measurements Texas gives on its roster. But like Malik Agbo was listed at like 330 or 335. If we're talking about body reshaping, that's yeah. big because Malik Agbo, I believe we talked a lot about Cam Williams and, and body reshaping needs. Malik Agbo was near 370 last year. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and also, I don't think he, I don't think he like looks bad either. Like I used to kind of, question with Ogbo, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. Also, it is genuinely funny that we live in Kyle Flood's world now to where we're like, yeah, Cam Williams is reshaping his body. He looks great, which he did. 
but He's also down to 375. Like Exactly. They're not afraid to list him at 375, which is just kind of awesome. When you say he's down to 375, it's it's and maybe it's something of like just whatever you're watching. Maybe it's something of, you know, you missed maybe you missed um, what you thought before because it didn't work. I mean, I used to buy in on the you want long, lean, low weight guys that you bulk up at the college level. And now it's like, well, that didn't work for Texas very much. Let's see how how the big fellas do. Yeah. I do think that obviously there's probably some sort of a healthy balance, but what I love is that flood isn't like, it's not going to prevent flood from taking a Trevor Gooseby type. And I think that was just my big concern. Like I still wanted to have those long, longer term uh, developmental prospects and he's still taking those. So I'm, I'm all in on the big boys, like, you know, F it, like, let's go. Also, yeah. How great do Kelvin Banks and Devon Campbell carry their like 310, 320? I, don't, I can't remember what they have them listed as, but I think they were three plus. Oh, I mean, I thought, especially DJ, who I saw a lot more up close. For sure. Has just always carried his weight. But there was one time I saw him, and it was the COVID fall. It was their first game, and he looked overweight, and he looked like it, and you could tell on the field. And I was just like, DJ, you're, you look out of shape. How big are you? He's like 330. And I was like, why are you 3.30? Like you, you know, and he was like, I don't know. I've been working at the mall. Like I've been working at the pretzel store. So I've been eating the product and uh, <laughs> kind of kind of got up there. I mean, yeah. who among us? Like <laughs> Exactly. And then the next time I saw him, he's 3.10 chiseled. And if you talk to Zach Collins, who's his O-line trainer, he, he always marvels at like, He's like, man, DJ can go like literally one day you'll see him and he's 340 and overweight. And the next time you'll see him, he's like 305. And it's like, it's only been a week and a half. Like, how have you lost? You fluctuated that much weight, but he's always carried his extremely well. He's really thick through like the ankles and, and everything. So he's just a big, big man, like in general. For sure. And I think that's something too, because obviously people see the height and they kind of are like, well, is it? And no, also. I can't remember if you said this and I don't want to misattribute it because it's the God's honest truth, but somebody said it. Yeah. Somebody told me that DJ Campbell legit has the like broadest shoulders of any like interior prospect they've ever evaluated. And when you look at him, it really is staggering. Like how wide he is. Yeah. And again, he's, he's long, like for six, two and a half, he's long. He, he's got great reach. That's why I do think he's going to be able to hang because the physical strength is obviously there. And I'm saying hang at the college level too, uh, you know, immediately. Do I think that he might struggle at first? Yeah, of course. Any freshman is going to, especially at that high leverage of a spot. But his mobility too, like DJ is just going to pull and destroy, you know, mother effers regardless of kind of anything else that's going on that's kind of just who he is as a player and a prospect so i i think i don't want my excitement level to lead to unrealistic expectations but honestly mike part of it is like the expectation should be there because they're that good of players like we're not saying that we need a um we're not saying that we in this is not intended as a slight because i do think long term he's gonna be a good player and can develop but we're not 
acting like Malik Agbo has to step in right away. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I do. I went back to my phone. I have not texted Devon Campbell since he got to Texas. Uh, the last text I sent him was I sent him some pictures from the regional track meet, uh, which was his last event, and just kind of asked how he did. So the last text I have from Devon Campbell says, I will be on the field my freshman year count on it (laughs) that's awesome that's awesome um all right let's uh let's move to the defensive side of the ball do you want to talk weapons real quick i just want to go over the weapons i i did a piece talking about and i've talked about it all spring and off season two about how diverse texas can be uh on the personnel side of things real quick mike if they're in a 11 personnel with you know one running back one tight end what's your ideal grouping of that obviously you know no no disrespect to Sean Johnson or Keelan Robinson who are both studs but you know Bijan Robinson's going to be your running back and other than that I'm kind of curious to see where you go with things as kind of starting off the discussion so Xavier Worthy has to be on the yep. field um I think Isaiah Naor proved during the spring he needs to be on the field agreed the question for me is, do you go kind of, well, I, I was going to say big slot with the Jaya Hall, but it's not like Jordan Whittington's a small slot. For um, sure. And, you know, Jordan Whittington had a hell of a spring too, and, you know, it has been around the team. So it's kind of tough to imagine, even though how freaky a Jai is. Yeah. I think to start the year, and I mean, a Jai Hall is going to have to prove it. He's going to have to make the most of his reps when he gets them and kind of earn his way into more. I think you've got to roll with Whittington and I hate to say it, it got, I hope this is the year it changes. A Jai Hall might get his shot because Jordan Whittington is just not proven. He could stay healthy. Uh, sure. But, but I think I got to go with those three at receiver. The real question for me is tied in. Like, I think we love the potential Jatavian Sanders has, but Billingsley's just done it. And I think it's honestly, they're probably just super interchangeable. Um, and you could kind of rotate them in and out and give them kind of equal. But I think I think early on I'd probably go with Billingsley just from a experience standpoint. And I guess this is the fun part of this conversation. What's stopping that from actually being 10 personnel if Billingsley's out there? Right. Considering how Sark or if or if Sanders is out there. Exactly. So you kind of are operating in this space where Texas can be in 12 personnel. They can have Bijan Robinson out there with both Billingsley and Sanders. And, you know, your two wide receivers more than likely in that situation would be Isaiah Nayor and Xavier Worthy. And you can go empty on people in 12 personnel because everybody is good at wide receiver. Or, you know, you can, you can end up with these, uh, I think Sark calls it railroad where Bijan Robinson is the first progression as a running back out of the backfield. And it, that's the uh, real quick wheel route that I feel like they ran as the touchdown play like eight oh, times last year. Big time touchdown play. It was like the uh, – the one I remember because I was at the game was like the fourth and one against Tech in the first quarter. Yeah. And yeah. it was just an easy, wide open – they ran against Louisiana too. I vividly remember like they just ran it a ton and Sark loves doing that. And then you get into this horrible spot for defenses where they want to load the box against Bijan. Um, and then if you put seven or eight, you, you have five guys that can absolutely kill you. 
And then you have Ajay Hall on the bench, who, again, we look, I, I probably, how many times would you say have I sent you the text? And my friend group uh, from college has gotten the text a bunch too. How many times have I sent you the text with his uh, measurables from high school? Several. And when you look at it, it's just so freaky. And we've already heard so many encouraging things. Then you have Tariq Milton, who at the Big 12 level has already proven to be a pretty capable number two receiver. He's likely the fifth receiver. And then Brennan Thompson's been crushing it so much in the lead up into fall camp that it, that there's talks of him actually getting some spot uh, carries and spot targets. Yeah, it's, My- it's a deep receiver because in last year, you know, when Whittington went down, it was like, a, oh, boy. There is no. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I think it was the, one of the turning points of the season, legitimately. And I know I have a lot of friends who feel similarly. And I guess where I'm going with this is, you have such a deep receiver room. Who do you take off the field for those guys? Do you rotate them, and then how do you get these other running backs touches? I mean, Dane Brugler at the Athletic, whose work I respect a ton had Rashawn Johnson as the fourth best senior running back. And apparently NFL teams are just really starting to fall in love with him as a player. You have to get, you have to get Rashawn touches. Keelan Robinson last year was one of the bigger, uh, you know, fan things of, Hey, can we get Keelan the ball? Because he's so dynamic. I thought he looked great in the spring game. And then you have the two tight ends. You have Jonathan Brooks who again, Mike, I don't, you might disagree with me on this, because it's kind of a hot take. I think Jonathan Brooks would start for like half of the power five teams. Like he's, he would at least be getting like rotational carries for sure. Like, or splitting time with a starter. I mean, for sure. Um, Like he be in a committee backfield him or another guy. And he's the fourth running back and they brought in Jaden blue. Who's, you know, really freaking credentialed as well. So you just have so many weapons that it's exciting to think about what Sark can do. Here's because the, here's the fly in the ointment though. Can he be that creative if you have to keep a back in for pass pro or if you have to keep an extra tight end in for pass pro or something like that? Can he sure. be as creative? And tying it back to the offensive line discussion, that's going to be the big thing is if those guys can hold up on their own or are they going to tie a hand behind their back by having to bring a blocking tight end and to just kind of stay in and block. And I think this is where you get to the really exciting potential thing and this also could be off and you know people could hit me with the receipts you know i guess just you know 10 weeks from now and be like hey moron we're but, just goofing though we're just disclaimer yeah, we're, we're goofing we're in the rift zone uh none of these takes are <laughs> legally binding uh, yeah. but mike you remember that <laughs> i don't know why i was about to phrase it like that i was but hey you remember that 2019 lsu team they were kind of decent yeah they were, I, I recall <laughs> they were though all right they had a nice little squad um one, but in serious though, one thing about that team that I loved with how Joe Bra- uh, Brady utilized them was that they had a ton of five man protections because they would spread the field out. And Joe Burrow was so good in the quick game of get- getting rid of the ball that they almost used the fact that they almost used the fact that everybody could be a receiver so well to their advantage that they didn't have to keep the running back as a pass protector or they didn't have to do any seven man protections because it was like, look, we're going to make you occupy all five of our, um, of our receivers. 
which is going to limit how many you can blitz. And then guess what? If you do blitz, Joe Burrow is going to pick you apart. And I think that that's something the inact has to his game that Hudson card might not, which is that ability to hang in there. If you know that you're going to get smacked. Yeah. So I do think. Cause that LSU offensive line in 2019 was probably their worst unit, like on the team. And they were able to scheme around it. This is the general point I'm getting at. Yeah, I do think we talk a lot about the O-line. And we make it seem like it's awful. And it's like it's definitely below <laughs> yeah. well, average. But, I mean, how many times did – I'm trying to, like, scramble for the stat right now. Um, but, like, I don't know. I feel like Texas probably, if you t- charted explosive plays for last year, finished pretty well. I mean, how many times were they given enough time – to throw a deep ball to Xavier Worthy or to, yep. you know, to get something like that wheel route to Bijan is not a quick developing play. Um, so, I mean, I, again, all they have to do is hold up on those sorts of things and allow Quinn to do his thing. And hopefully, or, you know, I guess we're already crowning Quinn by saying that, but in this hypothetical of, of him yeah. outfits, as we've talked about, um, allow him or Hudson card to do their thing and, and just kind of make the easy throws. I mean, we saw last year, Sark, like people say it a lot and it's become trite almost, but like Sark's offense schemes guys open. Like, oh, it's it's insane, man. As I've been watching, walking back through it, there were guys open last year. I'm like, those guys never got open in the previous offenses. Like, <laughs> how's he doing this? Like, uh, I mean, how many times was like Marcus Washington just running wide open down the field? Yeah. And it yeah. wasn't because he was using his exceptional athleticism to beat somebody one on one, it was. You know, he just the the scheme was there. So I think, yeah, uh, yeah I, it's really fun to dream on. I just um, I see the the like tornado of offensive line coming over the horizon, and it could come and destroy our village, or it could go elsewhere. So who knows? Yeah. Um, I know you want to talk defense. We've been at this a little bit over an hour. What do we? What For if sure. we? Do, what if we do this each week in the lead up to the season? We're going to do a little bit of football talk for the, for the, for the fellas and the ladies, any ladies out there listening. Um, so let's, uh, let's focus on defense next week. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And also it gives us a week to formulate some takes, talk to people. I love formulating takes. So that works. Yeah. Listen, I'm a big take formulator. Also something fun too, is the fact that we're going to have two days worth of practice reports. Uh, oh, by the- Ooh. Yeah, we will not overreact to those, I promise. Listen, I'm immediately going to be like, well, listen, I guess Keaton Crawford's the best player in the country. That's, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, why, why, why isn't Keaton Crawford on the Thorpe Award list? Watch list? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Need a manager I, I right now. <laughs> I, yeah, I just immediately am talking to CBS Sports and like, look, you guys, like, you don't understand. Like, Maurice Blackwell crushed it day one of practice Jalen Ford Ford is basically LeVar Arrington yeah um yeah no it'll be we we promise not to overreact to that and we will talk about a lot of concerns I do have I I weirdly I have like (laughs) way more concerns with the defense than I do with the offense absolutely and also I will request at least one Byron Murphy tidbit because uh that that's somebody who as i was going down the roster for potentially talking defensive talk i wanted this get at least one from you so next week yes my man murph all right uh anything else you want to add before we get out of here nah i'm glad that we got to talk some team stuff though that 
that felt nice. Yeah, it should be fun for the fans as we lead up to the season. And who knows, maybe we'll even mix in during the season a little little segment week by week on how the game went. Um, all right. We appreciate everybody for listening. Thank you for understanding when we're schedules off and you're not getting the podcast. I always say this when we miss podcasts and I get DMs or, or stuff about it. Like, it's nice that people want it you know, while we're gone. It's, oh yeah, for sure. Nobody's yeah. like, Oh, that podcast didn't come out and I couldn't be more happy about that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Yeah. It, it's great uh, when you guys do that. It, it, it's encouraging. So thank you everybody for listening. Thanks for uh, interacting with the show uh, for Hudson Standish. I'm Mike Roach. We'll see, talk to you guys next week. Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.